Welcome to the Keep Moving Pod with Dr. Sam Oltman. Because the only way to keep moving is to keep moving. Hi there, Dr. Sam Oltman here, naturopathic physician, regenerative medicine specialist, musculoskeletal ultrasound expert, and foot health guru on the Keep Moving Pod, talking to you about health and all things related to keeping you moving. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to the next episode of the Keep Moving Pod. This is Dr. Sam Oltman. Today, we are going to be talking about pain relief versus healing and the difference between those two concepts, the overlap between those two concepts and how that's important to you um, as a patient and um, as a as a practitioner, a healthcare practitioner. So what we're talking about here is a... Uh, a spectrum, uh, a dynamic that's on a spectrum, pain relief at one end, healing on the other, uh, or, or put another way, maybe a Venn diagram, right? Where a, a circle of uh, pain relief and a circle of healing, right? And depending on what we're talking about, there's more or less overlap between those two circles. So in a perfect world, pain relief and healing fully overlap with each other, right? They are synonymous, meaning the things we do to relieve pain are the things that are healing us and there is no distance between those concepts, right? And that's in a perfect world and that would be um, ideal and desirable if that were the case every time. Now, the key thing is that they're not always perfectly overlapped and, and there is distance between these, these concepts. I'd say more often than not, especially as we grow older, they are separate. Um, and so an important thing to understand from the outset is that we can have tissue damage without any pain and we can have pain without any tissue damage. And so both of those situations arise regularly in people. And so it's important for us, you know, uh, to understand that one completely without the other is, you know, rare-ish. It's sort of in the extremis of, of kind of your, your average situation. But the fact that they, that both situations exist in the first place shows us that they are independent variables and that most people lie somewhere in between as far as the influence of uh, one versus the other. The other important concept, and so actually before we move on, so an example of that, right? So damage without pain, just to illustrate this a little bit more clearly, is everyone past the age of 30 or 40 has some arthritis in their body. Everyone has some degenerative changes somewhere, right? Um, But not everyone has pain, and certainly not everyone has pain everywhere where they have arthritis. And so um, there's that is tissue damage without pain. There's also more extreme examples. There's plenty of stories of of extreme situations, extreme situations, whether in sport or in combat, um, you know, military combat, where someone will suffer an extreme injury. Uh, in the most extreme examples, right, there's accounts of soldiers losing limbs and not feeling any pain um, in that moment, even with the most extreme kind of tissue damage we can imagine. Um, there's essentially neurological and psychological reasons why this is the case. But the point is that you can have tissue damage 
without pain. Last example would be, I often see people or regularly see people where, you know, they'll have things that show up on an MRI or an ultrasound, whether it's a torn rotator cuff or a bulging disc in their back or something that they, that they didn't know was there because that area doesn't cause them any pain, right? This is very, very common in, in, in low back studies where, you know, you have pain going down your right leg, but the MRI shows an, like an impingement on the left side. So how are we even supposed to interpret that, right? There's incidental findings all the time of damage that don't correlate to symptoms and that don't correlate to pain. So that is damage without pain. And then on the flip side, you can also have pain without damage, which would be your sort of class of, um, what would be, I think right now it's right now they're considered more neurological or rheumatological fibromyalgia being, being the, the top sort of example or diagnosis we would have of something like this chronic regional pain syndrome. Although chronic regional pain syndrome, I think we're, we can say that there are some tissue level changes, uh, whether it's whether, whether you consider it damage or not, um, is another another story so um essentially pain disorders with negative imaging um central sensitization peripheral sensitization these they're much more amorphous they're way less well understood um because there's as far as we know now and this may be proven wrong but as far as we know now there's very little that we can see that's wrong with the person and yet the person is in significant, sometimes severe pain. And so, um, without getting too far into those more complex disorders that, that, um, that defy a lot of sort of medical understanding, the point is that they exist and that they, they exist at a frequency common enough to where they're very well studied. They're very well illustrated in the medical literature and they're examples of pain or extremely exaggerated pain in relation to um, any perceptible tissue damage. Okay. So those are the, the two ends of the spectrum as far as one without the other pain, tissue damage or separate, fr separate phenomena. Now in a normal response, they, they go together. So in a normal response, we'll take an ankle sprain as an example. Most people have had ankle sprains in an ankle sprain. The normal response is there is damage to the tissue in your ankle in response to that tissue damage, to the sprain, to the damage of the ligament. In response, your body produces inflammation. The inflammation is an effort uh, from your body to heal. Part of the inflammatory response are chemicals that produce or that stimulate nociceptive um, nerves and that produce pain as a conscious experience. Pain, in this sense, is a protective mechanism because if an area is painful, you will not use it. And that is the point, right? That is the, that is the, the, the good side of pain, right? There's, there's examples of people uh, with disorders uh, that where they cannot feel pain and they do not live very long lives because they cannot perceive what is harming them. Um, and so pain in the normal sense is part of the, in, the tissue damage response of pain, swelling, um, inflammation that normally accompanies tissue damage, pain being 
one of those protective mechanisms so that you do not so that you do not keep re-injuring an area um, because the pain is telling you to rest or not move somewhere okay so that's in a normal response how pain and damage tissue damage are related right so they're they're closely linked which is why they're often confused um they're closely linked but they are separate phenomena um and like i said you know the the uh, the fact that there can be one without the other in both in both senses in both directions proves this point okay so the last thing to kind of understand conceptually is that um, full healing is not necessary for full pain relief. So this has to do with the, the fact that you can have damage without pain, right? So we talk about healing versus pain relief as clinical goals. Um, the idea is that you do not need to heal everything in your body 100% for, to feel no pain. Um, so there's a, there's a mismatch there because these phenomena are separate. Um, getting, you know, 50% better tissue quality or, you know, healing the tissue to 50%, just to use an arbitrary example, healing the tissue to whatever degree possible, um, whether it's 50%, can decrease your symptoms, can decrease your pain by 100%, right? Because they are separate phenomena and they, they are related but can modulate each other. And then healing is not always possible. This is an important thing as well. And this is really where, you know, my job as a physician within the sort of regenerative medicine and, and orthopedic space becomes very important because if I don't think healing is a good goal, um, I'm going to tell you that. And it's, I, I consider it my job to be, you know, if someone comes in to me thinking, that all they need is to, to heal their knee, for example, and they, and they won't feel pain anymore. Sometimes it can't be healed um, in, in the sense that we, that we mean when we say heal. So sometimes pain relief is the goal, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, my job, part, part of my job is to, is to distinguish the two. Um, and then before we dive into some examples here, you know, this is really not meant to be a, a judgmental um, um, sort of split of these two terms, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting pain relief. Um, and there's nothing wrong with, with, um, you know, not being interested in healing to be, to be quite honest. It's not about value judging each of these concepts. I think there's, as we'll talk about, there's a time and a place for each of them. The main issue that I that I see in patients that I talk to people about regularly is that these, these concepts aren't talked about separately and people don't know that there's even a difference, right? So it's not about one is right and one is wrong. It's the fact that there's essentially not informed consent. Like people don't even know that there is a difference, right? And it's, I would, I would say it is the medical systems, medical practitioners, physicians responsibility to communicate that there is a difference. So it's not that one is better than the other or one is des more desirable than the other. It totally depends on the person, the situation, um, the context, the, the goals, all of these other complex things, which is what, you know, what, what makes medicine so difficult and also so rewarding. It is, however, understanding 
that there is a difference between these two concepts and that the treatments that you may or may not choose um, modulate these two concepts differently, potentially. And understanding the influence and why you're doing what you're doing um, is, is really the, the really important part and the empowering part as a patient that we should all sort of have as a goal. Okay, so let's get into it. So just definition-wise, pain relief. So when we talk about pain relief versus healing. So pain, pain relief is the addressing of a symptom. Pain is a symptom uh, predominantly. So pain relief is concerned with the alleviation of a symptom, the symptom being pain. Okay. Healing, and there's different words, right? I think healing I'm just using as because it's what people in kind of common parlance would use. There's other there's other terms we could use. Um, but healing refers to the resolution or the repair of damage. Um, the improvement in the tissue, improvement in tissue quality, improvement in tissue strength, improvement in tissue integrity, competency, all of these concepts, right? So healing as opposed to uh, healing, healing or the lack of healing is not a symptom, right? It's what's underlying the things that are causing your symptoms. So that's sort of definitionally what we're talking about. Pain relief is the addressing of a symptom. Healing is the um, is the resolution or restoration of normal function or improvement of 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 damaged aspects. Okay. So the best way to illustrate this is what I hear regularly from patients is that they have been told that cortisone helps arthritis. Okay. This is what, um, people are told this all the time, right? I hear it from, from patients all the time the the idea and the you know the 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 sentence cortisone helps arthritis is factually incorrect okay the correct way to say what that sentence is trying to communicate is cortisone helps with the pain associated with arthritis okay so uh let's break that down Cortisone is an anti-inflammatory. It refers to a class of drugs that are synthetic cortisol. They all have sort of there's there's different um, different specifics, you know, uh, chemicals or brands, but it's cortisone is this umbrella term for um, for synthetic steroid hormones, cortisol. Cortisone helps arthritis. So arthritis is joint inflammation. Um, The word arthritis is often used as shorthand for osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis is by far the most common form of arthritis. It's the degenerative wear and tear aging of the joint, right? This is not uh, the same as rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, right? Those are all different things. And most of the time people aren't talking about that when they just use the term arthritis for achy knees um, or whatever the case is. So Cortisone helps arthritis. People are told that all the time. It's incorrect. Cortisone helps with the pain associated with arthritis is the more correct term. Now, does it? Am I just uh, you know plain semantics here? No. The words are very important because words mean something, and I think doctors and other practitioners get 
sloppy with language um, either because they don't have time or because they themselves don't understand what they're doing or but they don't really understand that there's other that the, the paradigm in which they're operating and so the difference is cortisone helps with the pain associated with arthritis that is true right because cortisone decreases the inflammation um, inside of a joint for example that is resulting uh, from the breakdown of the joint, breakdown of the cartilage surfaces, whether uh, there's other injuries, you know, in the knee, there's often meniscus tears along with arthritis, right? All that's causing inflammation, which causes pain and stiffness, potentially. And cortisone uh, decreases, some would say, you could say suppresses the inflammation and therefore helps the pain associated with the arthritic joint but it makes the arthritis worse, right? And so this is the key point. Um, serial and repetitive cortisone injections breaks down the tissue in the joint faster and leads to uh, a faster a joint replacement. So when we look at knees, for example, knee arthritis, people with multiple cortisone shots, the, the amount of cortisone shots you get is related to um, an acceleration of the breakdown of the joint and a fast track to a knee replacement, okay? So this again, cortisone helps with the pain associated with arthritis while making the arthritis worse. It's a very different thing than to just say cortisone helps with arthritis, right? But people are told that the that cortisone helps with arthritis all the time and it's and it's factually incorrect, it's sloppy language, and it's very confusing because, because it, it, it conflates the idea of pain relief and healing. Um, and that's where I think a lot of physicians or a lot of healthcare practitioners don't understand the difference. They actually think that cortisone helps with arthritis because they don't really understand in their training they haven't been really trained or, or like, you know, they, they haven't, they, they're not operating under, under, a under a, um, sort of a, a, a paradigm that would allow them to think about healing as a, as, as a clinical goal, right? It's just like, well, if you have less pain, then, um, we've, then we're done here, right? Then we've solved the, pro we've solved the problem, right? And so, and that has to do with how, um, how people are trained, um, the idea of right allopathic medicine is literally opposite medicine. So allopathic means against the disease, right? So inflammation, anti-inflammatory, pain, anti-pain medication. Um, right? It sort of stemmed from the idea of bacterial infection, antibiotics, right? Which is obviously great. I'm not here to um, <laughs> not here to uh, criticize that approach at all. But there's a very big difference uh, between you know infectious disease and um, you know chronic degenerative joint stuff. So, I think the cortisone helps arthritis um, as a as an example of this. Hopefully, can illustrate that point. Right, um, cortisone is short term symptom reliever. Right, that is suppressive. Uh, something like uh, regenerative injection therapy, like platelet-rich plasma or PRP is stimulatory, um, partially inflammatory, 
um, and helps in the long term as opposed to the short term. Right? So cortisone, you're going to feel better in a couple of days after the injection and hopefully it'll last two plus months. Um, and then you're going to be back to where you were and maybe worse in most cases. PRP, you're going to feel a little worse for you know three to seven days after an injection. You're going to feel way better compared to cortisone on average at um, you know, two months, three months, six months, 12 months, right? So because we're, f because we're flipping the goal, right? The goal of PRP isn't symptom relief in the short-term sense, right? The goal of PRP is to heal the damaged tissue and therefore achieve pain relief long-term, right? So we're achieving pain relief by increasing health, right? Not by suppressing a symptom. Ice and heat are another example of this. Um, ice is numbing and decreases blood flow, right? So, um, if I, when you you know when you ice something, you feel better because it's numb. But the decrease in blood flow has negative impacts for for a lot of um, a lot of injuries and situations. Heat, on the other hand, is relaxing to the muscles, right? May increase swelling, but what is swelling other than your body's um, your body's attempt at getting blood flow into these areas like ligaments, tendons, cartilage that have very poor blood flow. Um, some of this stuff, as far as ice, heat, cortisone, PRP, um, symptom relief versus health restoration, I think also gets confusing because a lot of the studies done on these things are done on athletes and athletes have very different goals than most people living their lives, right? Where athletes have a very explicit short-term incentive to get better, right? To get back on the field and, you know, and, and professional athletes, obviously to make money, right? You have a short window as an athlete where you can make money. And so, um, just as an aside, a lot of the studies on these types of subjects, you have to be careful what your, what the, what the study is, um, looking at as far as subjects, because what, what, what is good for a professional athlete or a semi-pro or a collegiate, you know, highly competitive athlete may have nothing to do with what's best for the 45 year old who just wants to keep active, right. And stay healthy until they're 95, right. Those are, those are very different things. You don't, when you're 45 and want to stay active until you're 95, you don't have an incentive to, um, to just feel better next week. If it, if it undercuts and forsakes, you know, a year from now and certain, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now. Okay. So, um, not moving. I see this a lot with the foot and ankle patients that I, that I see, um, not moving is a way to relieve pain, right? If you just don't move or don't use the area, it relieves that symptom a lot of times, not all the time, but just to simplify this example, um, not moving, right. Um, immobilizing areas, you know, constricting things, just not using it. Um, that can be a, that can be a symptom reliever, um, and a pain reliever. Whereas essentially like and not to be paint with too broad of a brush, but I mean, physical therapy and the, the immense mountain of evidence supporting physical therapy is therapeutic movement, right? Movement is healing, right? And we're not necessarily just going after short-term symptom relief with physical therapy. We're building strength. We're increasing blood flow. We're moving joints so that they can restore some semblance of normal function. Um, and then I don't want to get too much into this because it gets a little complicated, but you know, like opioids or, or pain medications are an interesting 
sort of um sort of window into this dynamic because there's been some interesting studies looking at like people on opioids for for chronic conditions actually don't rate their pain less um when they're on opioids right but we think of opioids as these really powerful pain reducers and i think what's happening there is that if anyone's taken opioids i think i think most people can kind of understand this which is that opioids i think if we're again kind of being really specific with our language which i think is really important opioids are much less pain relievers than than they are apathy producers right so what i think people can relate to subjectively if you've taken these medications but also that bears out in the literature is that opioids don't necessarily lower your pain they just help you care less about it um and so i don't know exactly it's an interesting sort of piece of the pain puzzle like pain as a conscious experience but i don't know exactly if there's an opposite corollary for the healing um um you don't necessarily want to hyper focus which may be the opposite of of apathy but um and then you know just to briefly touch one of my you know uh interests in pain in the first place is really this connection with with consciousness and the fact that because pain and tissue damage are separate phenomena right pain is really a conscious experience and it's influenced by so many things other than just what's going on in the tissues of our body and so you you could take this you know this is not my my field of uh, uh, this is not exactly my field of expertise but it is you know like i said a, a very big interest of mine which is you can look at things like alcohol um just addictions and diversions of any any sort of flavor as symptom relievers right so you know drinking alcohol as a as a way to as a way to reduce physical psychological emotional pain right um is sort of a self-destructive symptom reliever whereas you know healing right healing in the psycho-emotional sense um you know can create some short-term discomfort because you have to move through um the healing process there's a catharsis transmutation um sort of process that needs to happen that can be facilitated in any number of different ways whether it's talk therapy uh, or prayer or meditation or psychedelics or or any number of things this is why we have begun to utilize ketamine ivs um, at cascade regenerative medicine um, to to try to offer and have something sort of along these lines but the point is you know these ideas of you know pain relief and healing correspond beyond just the physical body and they do the same principles are at play with psychological trauma psychological damage um, and the pain that we feel associated with those things right it's not a surprise that in the english language the same word pain is used for an ankle sprain that it is for the loss of a loved one not that those two things are equal but the point is the pain the word pain is used to describe both right because emotional pain is physically painful um and so these these ideas of pain relief and healing um extend into the um that sort of non-physical realm which 
you know, anyone who's been in the pain world, um, you know, should, should know this. And this is, I think, pretty well established. I think anyone who doesn't really see pain as this at this point isn't, isn't paying attention enough, but the, just the, the, the idea of the biopsychosocial model, right? So there's an idea of, uh, pain as biopsychosocial, right? So bio is biology. That's the physical tissues, chemicals, inflammation, all the stuff we've been talking about. Psycho is psychological and social is obviously the, the, the context in which, you know, we live, right? We're social primates. Um, so pain is still you just like when you sprain your ankle and pain is is used as a protective mechanism pain is also still used as a protective mechanism for psychological and social pain um and just to kind of gloss over this you know physical pain becomes a way to signal psychosocial damage right or or potentially a maladaptive way to signal psychosocial damage so this is where i think we get into those disorders that I talked about at the beginning, fibromyalgia, sensitization, these things where we know that psychological features and that social features affect the likelihood that someone will have chronic pain, right? So um, depression increases your, increases your risk of chronic pain. Um, pessimism increases your risk of chronic pain. Um, loneliness increases your risk of chronic pain. Um, joblessness increases your risk of chronic pain, right? Like if, if pain is just tissue damage, how do all of those things affect it? Right. And the, and the answer is because it's not all about tissue damage. Um, and it's not all about damage, right? I, sh- I shouldn't even say tissue. It's not all about damage, right? Cause we can have pain from, you know, being hurt by loved ones, being abandoned, being, um, uh, being shamed, whatever the, whatever the case may be, psychologically, socially, emotionally, all of these things still hold, right? And that's, I think, of, I think it, it's not to say that your knee pain from arthritis is due to some psychological or social factor. The point of this is to say that these principles are unified at different levels, which I think makes them so much more powerful, right? They're not just principles about your knee. They're principles about how the human brain works and how the, the human conscious experience works. And so I think it proves this larger point of, um, of pain as a protective mechanism that can become maladaptive. And that's not the same thing as healing. So there's, and then there's a couple examples of, you know, things that are both, right? We talked about the Venn diagram, right? Um, when we're younger on it, like usually pain relief as pain goes down and begins to subside, that means that the tissue is healing, right? And so, like I said, those things can go together. Uh, a treatment we do at Cascade Regenerative Medicine a lot called the perineural hydrodissection, right? So dissecting out the, a nerve that's caught or entrapped between fascia or in a small tunnel, like in carpal tunnel, that is both pain reliever and healing, right? So you can have many things that are both, um, reparative surgery. Oh, well, before I move on. So hydrodissection. So what I mean is the, the treatment itself, separating out the nerve with an ultrasound guided injection helps 
the pain in the short term. It usually helps within a day or two, but it also heals the tissue long term. It heals the actual dysfunctional nerve. Right? So there, there's, it's an example of something that is both um, simultaneously. A reparative surgery for like a torn tendon, for example, is an example of both, right? You're not going to heal it. Um, you're not going to heal it without doing the surgery, right? You're not going to feel, you, you may feel better if you do nothing, right? But the, the, the chances of dysfunction are high, right? So, um, reparative surgery, right? To like, sew uh, you know, a fully torn tendon, right? That's, that's a good example of something that is both healing, right? Cause you're not going to repair that tendon without the surgery healing and, uh, pain relieving because without it, the, the, uh, the likelihood that you'll have continued pain is high. And then lastly, joint replacements are an interesting sort of, um, piece of this joint replacements are, I would say within this sort of, within this conversation, within this, within this sort of spectrum we're talking about, um, are a little bit outside of it, right? They're, they're healing in the sense that they're removing all of the damage, um, but there's there's not any restoration happening, right? It's like you're sidestepping it, which is excellent, right? Because you need the pain relief too. So joint replacements are are an amazing innovation. Um, I think they're um, you know overused and not people aren't prevented from getting them enough. But joint replacements are amazing. They're an interesting nugget within this sort of conversation because they they sidestep that dynamic a little bit. But it goes back to what we're saying, which is sometimes healing is not always possible and pain itself is such a burden that the pain relief becomes a priority. I think that's really important to recognize um, when you're at that point. So um, there you have it. Um, I think there's, you know, my priority with patients is to really communicate clearly. That's why I'm a stickler for language. It's why a sentence like cortisone helps arthritis just really annoys me um, because it's it's just, it's sloppy. It's sloppy language, it's sloppy thinking, and it's incorrect. So um, I really try to be doctor as teacher. I really try to teach my, patient, my patients about their condition, about the suggested treatment, um, and why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and really try to communicate clearly. I mean, ultimately, I think that the the ability to explain a complex idea in simple terms is the true test as to whether you understand it or not. Um, if you only understand a complex idea in a complex way, um, then I think it's a, it's a lack of understanding. If you can't communicate it to people in a simple way, I think it's a lack of understanding. Um, and so I'm always trying to get through these complex ideas into simple, um, elegant explanations, the use of analogy or otherwise, because, uh, ultimately I want my patients to feel empowered and understanding what you have, why you have it and what to do about it is the most empowering thing. Um, so pain relief first healing. There you have it. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.
Thanks for listening, everyone. If you are curious to learn more, please visit our website at cascaderegenmed.com. You can follow us on Instagram at cascade underscore regen underscore med. And you can schedule with us today. If you or anyone you know has uh, joint pain, arthritis, sports injuries, we'd be happy to answer your questions and help you out. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you in the next episode.